Hey, this is D. Snyder, and you like making great money, right? Well, here's a really cool opportunity I have to share with you, driving with Uber. Uber's that popular smartphone app that connects riders with drivers. I take Uber a bunch, and I love them. And in chatting with the different drivers, as I do when I'm in the cars, some of them have really interesting stories as to why they drive with Uber. Some say they love being their own boss. Others say they earn great money. Actually, they all say they earn great money. And it's easy to start. You just need a car and a license. Driving with Uber is great for anyone who needs flexibility. Parents, this is a really easy way to work around your family's busy schedule. Students, you can make some extra money between classes. Now's the prime time to cash in driving with Uber. You'll thank me for telling you how to get paid every week. Hey, who knows? I could be getting into your car when you drive with Uber. You've got a car and a license, put them both to work for you and start earning serious life-changing money today. Sign up to drive with Uber. Visit drivewithuber.com. That's drive with Drivewithuber.com. Let's play. Pancakes. Freaking pancakes. Now, I'm known to be a active Twitter user. Uh, I've I've seen it. I didn't think I was that active, but uh, seeing um, how many mentions there've been about my uh, being active as a celebrity using Twitter, I guess I do use Twitter quite a bit. I've enjoyed it, and I tweet a great many things. Uh, I've off. I was um, somebody. There was a thing uh, uh, define Twitter in three words, which I said: verdict, verdict, still out. My three words were because I'm not sure about the effectiveness of Twitter. I'm not sure if, in fact, it is worth the effort. Uh, does that sound callous? I don't think so. I mean, I mean, the belief is in the entertainment industry and in the world that through Twitter, through the connection with your followers, you have uh, a line of communication that allows you unique access to promote or share or, you know, inspire, whatever. Uh, your worldview, the things that you're doing, what have you. And one of the, uh, it's, it's um, what's, what's the guy's name? Uh, well, one of the biggest Twitter, I'm losing, I'm losing his uh, name right now, the one from Three and a Half Men who replaced Charlie Sheen. Uh, he had one of the biggest Twitter, Twitter followings of all. Yet, a few years ago, when he announced his new movie, and I don't remember what it was because it was such a flop, he jammed that on the Twitter sphere, and all of his followers were lit up about it, and the film bombed the first week. 
So if the most powerful guy on Twitter, or one of the most powerful, can't use that as a vehicle to encourage his people to come see his film, what purpose does it actually serve? Now you're going to say, well, D, it's not about commercial uh, endeavors. It's about you know a social thing, about sharing, communicating, and sharing things. And okay, fair enough. Figure you know your followers get to know you, they get to find out more about you, have a unique connection and access to you, and thus, I have been sharing things from creative business things like the release of my new single uh, uh, to Helen Back which is still available for free, free, single. And yet when you go there and you check the online, you see uh, people have tested it and not downloaded it for free. Certain percentage have downloaded it, but more have tested it for free. So the next step is, I guess, that the artist will have to pay the listener to download it. This way we can guarantee downloads give you we'll give you 99 cents if you download our track is that the future of the record industry well i've spoken about the future of the record industry there is no future for the record industry be that as it may um i've also you know shared personal things on twitter i've i've shared you know the most mundane things on twitter like what i'm doing and where i'm going and what i'm thinking uh, I've passed time on Twitter, uh, interacting with the Twitter followers, answering questions. I've used it for uh, to, to, for fodder for this show. As a matter of fact, getting questions from my Twitter followers. By the way, I'm at D Snyder, uh, and the show is at Snyder Comments on Twitter. In case you're wondering, and um, you know, and and, and like I said, verdict still out. I'm not sure. Is this? Is this worth the effort beyond the connection with the fans and the followers? Is it? Does it have value beyond that? Is the social media experience changing the world, changing my world? Or is it just an incredible drag and waste of time? By drag, I mean a drag on slowing down forward momentum. I definitely feel that... Twitter and Facebook and things like that take time from you that you would normally use for to create, to do things, and you're wasting time with the mundane. And it is the mundane. It's small talk. And small talk is nice with a cup of coffee and everything like that, and it's wonderful every now and then. But if you become too absorbed in small talk, when you find yourself checking your Facebook, checking, checking your Tinder, checking your, uh, your, your Twitter, and all those other wonderful social media outlets, if you're doing that so much that you're not doing things you need to do, that's detrimental. Verdict still out. This said, I'm, oh, I was out of town. I was in, where was I? Oh, where I, I was, um, Oh, we were in Prince George Island with Twisted Sister. So there was a lot of downtime, and I was tweeting. And a thought crossed my mind. And I'm tweeting, like I said, from the pithy and well thought out to the, the humorous statement 
you know, uh, making people laugh or smile, sharing other tweets with that people have tweeted, things, you know, the usual Twitter fodder. Not mutter, fodder. And, um, oh, voice cracked. I'm reaching puberty. Um, and at, at my head, I thought, wow, I really could go for some pancakes. Now, I don't eat pancakes much because they're carbs, and um, I don't ingest a lot of carbs because I like to watch my weight, and carbs are the enemy. In case you're wondering, it's not fat. It's carbs. And I, 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 I don't eat pancakes, which I love very often. I would have pancakes every day, every day. And I don't think I've ever had a pancake I didn't like. Some I like less than others. Some I love. Others are like pieces of lead, but I still eat them. I just love pancakes. So this thought crosses my mind, and I tweet these few words. Not using my 140 characters, mind you. I just tweeted, I love pancakes. That tweet has gotten more favorites, more retweets, and more conversation than anything I've done in recent history. I share my music. I share my, my, my projects, my efforts, my passions, my beliefs, my insights. I love pancakes. Crush them all. That was three days ago. People are still talking about the pancakes. At first it was funny. Now it's something, it's, it's disheartening. Honestly, I love pancakes. Has it come to that? Has it come to the point where the mundane becomes, becomes, is, is what we care about? And I think I'm, I think I know the answer. Look at reality TV. Look at the plethora of shows like TMZ and E and all of these, these pop culture bullshit. Meaningless garbage that is so popular and people just wallow in and and just spend hours on. I love pancakes. I know it's funny. I tweeted afterwards. I said, you know, I think we should run pancakes for president in 2020 because I think it's got a good shot, especially if Kanye's running. Pancakes as the GOP nominee. Pancakes. I don't know what the platform is. I love them. Everybody loves pancakes. That should be enough to take the presidency, I think, or at least get the nomination. So, a silly tweet that at first I thought was so funny, I can't stop thinking about the fact that that is the most powerful tweet. And what does that say about me? What does it say about what I have to say and what I have to offer? Maybe it's me. Now that I think about it, I mean, I, I, I know there are other people, major people who have millions of followers out there, and I'm pretty sure when they say something, it gets shared by a gazillion people. I'm pretty sure Lady Gaga farts, and there's you know tens of thousands of retweets and favorites. It's not what she did, it's how she did it. No, seriously, I think it's me. 
I think I have nothing more to offer than I love pancakes. And maybe my whole my whole pursuit, my life's pursuit, I'm going down the wrong path. Maybe I should have, I don't know, bought a pancake house or at least, you know, got a franchise. D. Snyder's International House of Pancakes. I could have greeted you at the door. They would have lined up for miles. You go into D's Pancake House, he loves pancakes too. We're all going to D's Pancake House. It's very disheartening. That's all I'm going to say. And I think that I, my, my, I think I'm going to start just tweeting mundane stupidity. And, uh, and at least this way, I get some retweets. Because clearly, anything intelligent I have to say, people don't care about. This is where you're supposed to go, oh, poor D. <laughs> poor D. Oh. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about something today that is not mundane. I'm going to talk about something that has recently been, you know, uh, cropping up, for lack of a word, a better word, in my, uh, in, my, in my life. And that's politics or what's, what's seen as my politics affecting my art and how politics does affect art. So I want to take a break, and I'll come back with more Snyder comments in just a minute. Hey, this is D. Snyder for True Car. You know, finding clarity on car pricing can be very difficult. You can be paying thousands of dollars more than your neighbor for the very same car. That sucks. So how do you really know it's fair? Well, it's good to do your research when buying a car, but there's really only one place to get the most comprehensive car pricing information available. And the truth is, car prices can vary even within your area. So when you know the car you want and you're ready to buy, there's only one place to go. True Car and the True Car app. No headaches, no hassles, just the car you want at a price you can feel good about. And who doesn't want to feel good about the car they just bought, right? You can now go online to find the fair price on a new car via TrueCar. Now, with TrueCar, you can see what others in your area have paid for the same car you're looking for, which helps you determine a fair price. Then you get a guaranteed savings certificate from a TrueCar certified dealer. Your savings will be honored by a TrueCar certified dealer without the need to negotiate or renegotiate. TrueCar users save an average of $3,221 approximately off MSRP. That's more than $3,000 off the manufacturer's suggested retail price. No hassles, no headaches. It's how car buying was always meant to be. Over 2 million cars have now been sold by the True Car Certified Dealer Network. And there are over 10,000 dealers in the True Car Certified Dealer Network out there. You work directly with a True Car Certified Dealer contact. So visit TrueCar.com or download the True Car app and start saving today. True Car, never overpay. Welcome back to Snyder Comments. Of course, I'm D. Snyder. Uh, you tuned in for the podcast. I don't need to say that, but 20 years of radio, it's very hard to break habits. You're supposed to, you know, supposed to always say that. What, what you're listening to, who you're listening to, the station you're listening on. 
but you know it's podcast one. And you know you, you clicked on the link, you downloaded Snyder Comments, so you know it's Snyder Comments, and you know you clicked on that Snyder Comments because it's D. Snyder, or at least when you clicked, you quickly found out. But I can't stop saying it. So, um, yeah, so recently I've been dealing with a lot of coverage and attention to the fact that Donald Trump has been using we're not going to take it as his anthem. And I mean I've been getting uh, I've been getting stalked by paparazzi, TMZ and things like that hounding me for 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 quotes and to know what I think about this. And I've spoken about it. I've shared about it on this show I certainly have. And recently I did a couple of clips that were, I know, made the rounds all over social media and on TMZ and on shows like that, discussing where I stand. And if you didn't see them uh, because you were responding to I love pancakes, I understand pancakes over politics any day. I agree. Well, what I said was, you know, and I've said this before, is that Donald Trump is a friend. Uh, we, I did the... Celebrity Apprentice, three seasons of involvement with the Trump family. You get to know somebody. And I discovered they're quality people. They're nice people. They're thoughtful people. They're smart people. They're, they're kind people. They're generous people. I'm gonna, I could keep going like that, but they are. His kids are great. He's great. Uh, and, you know, and I didn't think that I would like Donald Trump. And I don't think Donald Trump thought that he would like Dee Snyder. But we do. Now, does that mean we agree on everything? No, it does not. Certainly hairstyle. But we don't agree on everything. But it doesn't mean, and I spoke about this on a earlier Snyder comments, about having friends who have very differing opinions of you than you when it comes to politics, when it comes to religion, when it comes to sports, and how you sort of stay clear of those subjects and your relationship is great. Because, you know, if you start getting too deep into any one of those subjects, if you find out you don't agree, it could wind up killing the friendship. And for those saying, well, how can you be friends with somebody who disagrees with you politically, religiously, or athletically? Uh, and I say, if you, if you really have to ask that question, then you have not experienced life too much. Uh, there are people out there, they're not going to agree with everything that they say or everything they do, or they're not going to agree with everything you say and you do, yet you can still have a friendship based on other things. We're not talking about murder here, folks. We're talking about differing opinions about some things in life. So when I was asked on you know, TMZ like, you know, about the song and if the Trumps had asked, and which they had asked if they could use the song, and... You know, and I had made it clear to the Trumps that I don't see eye to eye with them on everything, that I am a very much pro-choice, which even though Donald has not spoken about it clearly, I'm, I believe he is. I am uh, very much pro-amendments. I fought for the First Amendment. I, am, uh, I, am, I, I carry a gun. I believe in the Second Amendment, and that goes all the way down to the 14th Amendment. Our forefathers were incredibly wise, incredibly intelligent, had incredible foresight. 
amazing. I guess when you're not on Twitter and Facebook all day or watching E, you have time to philosophize and discuss and thoroughly think out and explore ideas and concepts. And they really did. I'm talking about Washington. I'm talking about Benjamin Franklin, Andrew Jackson. I'm talking about Thomas Jefferson, the people who were involved in the creation of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. These people were just had such incredible foresight and really thought out what what made a democracy a democracy. A lot of us, a lot of politicians have fought a lot of what they stood for from day one, trying to manipulate their words change things to their interpretation of what they would like to believe they intended, like the separation of church and state. You know, it was the word God, and I'm not anti-religion, you know I'm a Christian, but the word God was nowhere to be found in the, in, 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 you know, the, the Bill of Rights and, and uh, the amendments, and it was not in there. Church and state separated. That was very important to our forefathers. Yet somewhere, and I believe it was in the 50s or 40s, it was added in by people who felt it deserved to be there. And if you ask them, they say, well, they intended it to be there. No, it, they did not intend it for it to be there because separation of church and state clearly says that the two should not be intermingled or be mixed together. So by putting those words in there, uh, in the pledge, and the things like that, that is not separating church and state. But be that as it may, uh, I'm a supporter of the amendments. So I told the Trumps, you know, I said, look, you know, I like you guys. I know we do see eye to eye on certain things. We don't see eye to eye on everything. I'm not endorsing Donald, um, not saying that I never would. Verdict is out. I, at this point, when they asked me, he had just started running. He had just, he had not even like uh, had, had really public speech number one yet, as far as I knew. Debate number one hadn't happened. So it was actually very early on when they asked me if he could use the song. And I said, the song is about rebellion. The song is about free thinking. The song is about independence. And I said, anybody who is for changing the status quo, anybody who is, who is for raising some hell, getting people thinking, you know, I have to think, I said, I thought back to when I wrote the song, the angry young man who wrote the song. It was written not just for me, not just for one protest group or one sports team or one a political party. It was written for anybody who was mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. Right from the movie Network. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Thank you very much. That song, it was deliberately written in the vaguest of terms. There's no specifics in there. And at 20-something, I was mad at the government. I was mad at my parents. I was mad at my bosses. I was mad at my teachers. I was mad at rejection from my peers. I was mad at the world. But politics was the farthest thing from my mind. Sports teams? Wasn't even thinking about that usage. Protests? Nah. Women's uh, premenopausal medications? Definitely not. SpongeBob SquarePants? No. I was just thinking about creating a song that would be an anthem 
for anybody who was fed up. Anybody who wanted to raise their middle finger in the air and said, I've had enough of this shit. So hearkening back to the inspiration of that song, why wouldn't I let Donald Trump use the song? So I said, I said, yes, you can use the song. Again, it's not an endorsement. It's just this song was written for everybody. I've also said on TMZ that um, Bernie Sanders should use the song because he's raising as much hell on the other side. You know, I don't want to. I don't really want to see Hillary using the song. She's not representing the song. I don't want to see uh, you know uh, 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 Ted Cruz use the song. I don't think he's representing the song either. He's, he's uh, you know they, they they talk rebelliously, they, but they're really politics as usual. But the idea of Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders using the song, turning the political system on its head. Making people have conversations that they don't want to have. I applaud that. That is the heart and soul of we're not going to take it. Now, since I've done that, the reaction is all over the place. Of course, there's the Trump supporters who, well, first of all, let's back it up and say that I made a, a, more, a, a thorough statement uh, to the press through the paparazzi and TMZ, which is to the press. And uh, it's and my statement has been sliced and diced. One of the things was that, um, uh, are you being paid by the Trumps to use the song? And I said, no, there's, there's no charge because it falls, it's not a licensing. Uh, it's just like a radio station or it's, it, what it's like, it's like um, a stadium playing the song during a football game at halftime. There's a, li- there's a license fee, a general fee, like a radio station pays, for any song you use, but it's not like you're, it's not a licensed or negotiated deal or anything like that. It's just a, it's already a preset formula that any music played at a sporting event, on radio, at a political rally, uh, at a club, they pay a set minuscule fee really to cover those things. So I said, no, I, there's no money being exchanged here. Well, some websites, Dee Snyder gives free use of song to Donald Trump. Like, you know, like there was actually like this, a conscious monetary sacrifice on my part, which makes it even more significant that D said, no, you don't have to give it, pay me any money for that song. There was no money to be paid. They just wanted to know that I wasn't going to go out there and like Neil Young did and um, trash them using the song beforehand, which I did not and I will not. So anyway, the people's reaction on social media, and you get to see it in real time, has been diverse, to say the least. I've got people, of course, the Trump fans, who are applauding and cheering. And then I've got the others who are hating. Hating. And I've seen more than one tweet about how they now will no longer listen to my music. They now will no longer, they no longer like my song because of my decision to allow, to not, well, and basically it's not allow. Yeah, I, I actually can't even, just so you know, I can't even stop anybody from using the song. I can only say publicly, I don't like them using the song. I really have no control over it. You don't have that kind of control. If they're not using it on a commercial or something, it's really just 
usage like in a club. It's, it's background music, basically. So you really can't stop anybody. But the point being, I didn't verbally say denounce. That's the word. I didn't denounce Trump's using it. So people are saying they no longer like the song or will listen to the song. And I want to know, how does a person's private life, personal, a personality, uh, life's choices, whatever, affect their creative work? Why should it and why does it? Should they be, shouldn't they be mutually exclusive? Shouldn't art be art? You judge the art for the art and you judge the statement or the lifestyle or the actions of the artist for what they are. Shouldn't they be separated? Now, I could say, now that's a question. And I have feelings about the answer, but I could say from personal experience, I understand how feelings about the artist can affect opinion on the art, on their art. Case in point, I hated Fleetwood Mac with a passion. Fleetwood Mac, now there's people out there hating on me right now for saying I hated Fleetwood Mac. This is the, this is the magic yeah, tr- trust me. Me hating Fleetwood Mac has not affected their hundreds of millions of record sales. They're doing just fine. But I hated Fleetwood as a heavy metal as a heavy metal kid, as a metalhead. Fleetwood Mac represented this mundane, boring pablum that was clogging up the airwaves and in the way of my damn good time, in the way of the music I loved. Couldn't stand Fleetwood Mac up until. I spent a day with Stevie Nicks at a music convention we both were appearing at. Stevie was lovely, lovely to me, a sweet woman, um, just uh, spent a lot of time in the bathroom on the plane with her assistant. I can only imagine what was going on in there, and I don't think it was sex, if you know what I mean. Um, but the, the point is, other than that, she was lovely. After that experience, I had a lot of trouble hating on Fleetwood Mac. The person I had met, who I really hoped would be this just nasty bitch, had actually affected, colored my opinion of the music. Now, I'm not saying I ran out and bought a Fleetwood Mac record. I did not. I'm not saying that I ever put on Fleetwood Mac intentionally. I have not. But when it comes on the radio, don't stop tomorrow. It doesn't sound quite as hateful or hateable. That's the word I'm looking for. It doesn't sound quite as hateable as it used to. Stevie Nicks's nice personality had colored my opinion of her music. Now, the reverse almost comes into effect with Guns N' Roses. I think Appetite for Destruction is one of the top 10 albums of all time. You know, they say the Desert Island classics, if you only had 10 records to bring on to, uh, to, bring on to a desert island with you to listen to for the rest of time, uh, Appetite would be on that list for me. 
uh, it's you know it's, it's amazing. I'm looking. I'm preaching to the choir. It's it's sold. It's a it's a diamond record. Over 10 million copies sold. Tens of millions of copies sold. Uh, so you know you understand. But Axel's behavior in recent years has really colored my opinion of him. Uh, I thought he's a great performer and a great singer, but as and. It's a f- kind of was creeping in, affecting my opinion of the music. And now it's quickly balanced out for my love for Slash, Duff, uh, you know, uh, Stephen. I don't know. I don't know uh, Izzy. Okay. But Matt Sorum as well. So, you know, those, they're great guys. But also, this is where I check myself and say, this is the first time I started actually thinking about why is the is the personality of the creator why should it affect my opinion of their art? It should not. It should not. Yet it clearly does. By the hostility and the anger I'm seeing directed towards me, you know, and then of course love on the other side. And I've seen this before when I've sided with one group or another. And by the way, why the hell does anybody give a shit what I think? I don't understand. Why do they care? And you know, why do people need to vent towards a single person speaking their personal opinion on a subject when asked? And then it's like the venom. That people, some people release the hostility. What's it? What's it? You know, you know, why? What is going on in your life that you are so angry that you need some scapegoat? Whether it's a sports team, you know, there's some sports fans who get downright insanely ugly when it comes to their the, the other teams. Especially if it's, you know, one of the, like, you know, Boston versus, uh, versus uh, New York Yankees or uh, New York or uh, the Mets versus Philly or something like that. Philadelphia. You know, it, there's a, some fans have this ugliness. You know, and you're acting like the players on the team are all Philadelphians or New Yorkers or Bostonians. They're not. They're hired guns. And sometimes... Those hired, said hired guns, as was the case with Johnny Damon, I believe his name, who played with Boston and went to the Yankees, they switch allegiances. There's no loyalty from the players. They don't give a shit. They only thing they care about is who's paying them the most money. They will go, it is proven, they will go wherever the paycheck is. All right, yet the fans are fanatical. They'll kill for their team. Trust me, your team won't kill for you. They will not. But be that as it may, back to the art, the creator should not affect what he or she has created. Period. It should have nothing to do with any of it. All right? It's only modern stuff that we have the opportunity to hear what Kanye's political opinions are. Or Kanye's, see what Kanye's personal life is like and decide that we hate Kanye, so we hate his music. We hate what he does. 
We have enjoyed art, certain art for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, knowing nothing about the artist's personal history. And we go to the Louvre Museum in France. We go to, you know, we go to museums and we gaze upon this art and we love it and we, we, we covet it and we admire it and we, we speak highly of it. If, if the creator should affect what he or she created, the personality, before you pass judgment on the art then, shouldn't you know more about the artist? If you found out that some great artist, I'm trying to think who uh, from the past, Michelangelo, was a pedophile or a murderer or a thief. Should you no longer enjoy their creations? Should you reject everything they did, all they invented? Leonardo da Vinci was a homosexual. And it's rumored that Mona Lisa is, in fact, a painting of himself in drag. Did you know that? That's the rumor that he, looked, he was a transgender and that he painted himself as a woman. Even in the Last Supper, the woman at the table is rumored, there is said to be him. He painted himself as a woman. Now, should those two things be inexorably linked? Okay, there's your word for the week inexorably linked or should they be independent of each other yes da vinci was gay probably cross-dresser too and he's a great artist should we judge his art by his personal choices if we find out that historically some of these artists that we love were not great people they weren't nice they weren't wonderful and perfect and who freaking is Should we reject everything they've done? Let's go to Thomas Edison. Okay, not even the arts, an inventor. The dude was a borderline gangster. Look it up. He used a heavy hand. He had enforcers to protect his interests and maliciously destroyed the lives of competitors like Tesla. He set out to destroy Tesla. This is, just look this up. It went methodically, calculatedly. I mean, he used to send people into, when to protect the, uh, the, the movie projector, he used to send people into theaters with bats to destroy unlicensed machines. Now, of course, I believe respecting the artist and respecting the creator, and they should have licenses and they should be paid for their work. But should it be gangster style? And should we be out to destroy our opponents unfairly? The Tesla battle, I mean, it, was not, it wasn't like, okay, proving that I'm, my work is better than your work. It went to, like, deliberately trying to make people believe that Tesla's work was inferior, that it was flawed. So people would reject it. And that, you can look that information up. It's a whole AC, DC, AC current versus uh, alternating current versus direct current and, you know, which was the better way to go. You can look that up. But should we not use any Thomas Edison products because you have now told you that he was pretty much a piece of crap. There's a new movie on Steve Jobs coming out. I read the book. Steve Jobs was a scumbag. Capital S, small c, a lot of U's. Scumbag. You'll watch the movie. You'll see the kind of person he was. One of the biggest things is the way he, uh, he denied 
um, the, the, the responsibility for, one, for a daughter of his for a very long time, refusing now to accept that he was the father of this child, knowing full well he was. Went to court, rejecting it, rejected, made this woman, his, his ex-girlfriend, look like she was a slut and a whore, which she was not. Okay? He was a piece of shit. So should we not use or enjoy Apple products from this time on? Are we, that's, you know, no. I read that book. I was disappointed to find someone that had changed the world and whose products, I, I'm, I'm an Apple user, Apple stockholder, I'm an Apple junkie. My whole family is. I was disappointed, but I'm not going to stop using his products because he was a piece of crap. Bill Clinton was a philanderer. He had a great president, a politician. There were those who felt that those two things are mutually exclusive and try to disqualify his presidency. They wanted to impeach him. You're cheating. You got a BJ. You can't be president. Is that fair? Are they mutually exclusive? History shows us that a lot of great and powerful men fooled around. Kennedy, Rockefeller died in the sack. Okay? I think it was, I'm trying to remember her name, Joey Adams' wife. She writes a, um, a column in New York. And she was writing about the Bill Clinton, you know, scandal when it happened. And she said, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, that there was a wood splinter in the thigh of some Washington, D.C. strumpet from George Washington's teeth. Meaning... You know, just because uh, Bill Clinton wasn't singularly the only philandering politician in the history of politics. This is why women continue to support Bill Clinton even after it became exposed that he was fooling around on his wife. Men couldn't understand it. How can you women support this guy? How can you women vote for this guy? Well, they knew. That if you took every powerful man who fooled around out of office, whether it's corporate or political, you'd have a lot of empty offices. But, and they weren't saying this makes it right, and I'm not saying it makes it right. But we need to be realistic, don't we? I mean, they're not, the quality of a man's work is nothing to do with the way he handles his personal life or what he does in his personal life. They are mutually exclusive. And couldn't it be argued that an artist or a creator or whoever, an athlete, a politician, what, an entertainer, that it is his or her personality, worldview, life's experience, whatever, that has caused him or her to create the very product that you love? And when it comes to art, isn't it their fallibility? that has made them create these songs, write those books, write those stories, paint those paintings. Who's to say where their inspiration comes from? I know where my inspiration comes from. I am fallible. I am not perfect. We're not going to take it. The song so beloved by so many people comes from a very angry place a very frustrated and hostile place. Yet I'd like to think, I, you know, 
uh, I don't know if I've created greatness. I'm not going to say that, but I've certainly created something that people have embraced and enjoyed and loved. So, do the the do the does the is the end are the is the end justified by the means? Does the end justify the means? Yes. Does the end justify the means? Yes. You know, I was uh, an imp- I, I am an imperfect human being, but I was more so struggling on the way up, fueled by a real anger and a real fire inside of me, a hatred for so much. Yet people so enjoyed my creativity that came from that pain. As a matter of fact, I've often said that when that went away, that's when I lost my edge and that's when Twisted Sister's demise happened. After the success of Twisted Sister, the follow-up album to Stay Hungry, an album written from the depths of despair, I was sitting in my multi-million dollar house, poolside, five cars in the driveway, two boats, trying to write the next song about teen angst and frustration, and I was empty. Not empty like my soul was empty. I had nothing. I wasn't mad. I didn't genuinely feel that righteous anger and indignation that it created. We're not going to take it, and I want to rock. People were inspired by those songs because there was an authenticity and a genuineness that came through in the words and melody and the tonality. That's what people connected with. And that came from the depth, the feelings that I harbored, and they weren't healthy ones. But ultimately, now I feel better. I'm not angry. I'm not mad at the world. And I can't create those kind of things anymore. Are people buying the stuff I create now? No. People haven't bought the stuff I've created since Stay Hungry. So when I was angry and pissed and wanted to kill everything and hated everything, that music, that persona, that personality, that energy created music people loved and they bought. When I'm a nice guy and I'm likable and I'm easygoing and I'm happy and I'm content, I'm creating art. And very few people care. That's kind of fucked up, ain't it? But it is. Look, this is tough. We know that our feelings about the artist affect our feelings about the art. But it should not. It should not. Nothing should change. You should separate church and state here. Separate the art and the artist. Speak of the artist and say, the guy's an asshole. The guy's a piece of shit. I don't like this guy. This, that, the other thing. But his work should stand separate. That goes to everybody, not just art. In your day-to-day work, if your output is strong and good and solid, and your work is great. It should not be, it should be judged for its merits only, free of the encumbrance of your character or lack thereof. You follow me? I know this is very hard to do. But we need to make a conscious decision to do this. Separate the creator and the art, separate the creator and the work. 
separate the creator and the results, whatever his creation is, even if it's even if it's athletic. We should be able to look at a great athlete and acknowledge his greatness no matter what team he's on and no matter how we feel about him as a person. We should be able to say he is a great athlete. He is a talented artist. He is a, is a, is a, is a brilliant politician. And whatever his personal life is like, that should be a separate thing. Speak on it, say what you will, but don't discredit his work. And here's a question for you. What about the effect of a product's popularity or lack of that it has on us? Okay? We like things. I mean, let me clarify that statement. It was a little vague when I just said that. We, we will like things, yet we'll stop liking them when certain type of people like them. How's that? I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about that in a second, all right? Stick around for more Snyder comments. Hey, this is D. Snyder for DraftKings. Only a few more preseason games to go before the regular season kicks off, and you could start the season by winning $2 million in week one at DraftKings.com. Yeah, you've probably seen the TV commercials. It's true. It's America's favorite one-week fantasy football site. This is the biggest fantasy football contest ever. $10 million in prizes are up for grabs, including $2 million for first place and $1 million for second. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. It's fantasy football on demand. Play where you want, when you want, with the players you want. That's how I like it. Just pick your players, pile up the points, and pick up your cash. That's it. You've never experienced football like this. Every game feels like the playoffs, even in week one. And every broken tackle or spectacular catch could take you closer to a $2 million prize. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code SNYDER, that's my last name, SNYDER, to play free for a shot at $2 million in the Week 1 Millionaire Maker. Enter SNYDER, that's S-N-I-D-E-R, for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. It's the interview the sports world has waited for. Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant reunited on the big podcast with Shaq. To me, the most important thing was really just keep your mouth shut, right? You don't need to go to the press with stuff. We keep it internal and we, you know, we have our arguments and our disagreements. I read an article you said you're going to kill him. I said, <laughs> yeah, I, I did say that, but I didn't mean it. <laughs> Do you remember that day, Kobe? Yeah, of course I remember that day. And I was like, all right, well, come on then. <laughs> He keeps telling people, listen, it wasn't like that, it wasn't like that. And my response is, I don't care what they think. The Big Podcast with Shaq. That's me. It's up right now at podcast1.com. All right, what I was saying was, I was saying that we are affected by the popularity or lack of popularity of a product or art or music. We allow that to affect how we feel about it. Case in point, we like something, but we'll stop liking it if certain types of people start liking it as well if we don't like those certain people. In my own personal experience uh, with music, 
my music came out. Twisted Sister was a band that appealed to older teens and college-age people in its very early inception. And we had credibility, street cred, and we were cool. Stay Hungry came out, and the record was embraced. Somewhere along the way, young kids, elementary school kids, and younger started liking the music. The older fans started rejecting our band and rejecting the music because they didn't want to like something that their younger brother or sister liked. They didn't want to like something. There were metalheads that pop fans liked. And I, I've fallen into that myself. I did that with, I was a huge, I was an early Queen fan, early ACDC fan, and I allowed the popularity of their music when it became popular to affect how I felt about the band. Not cool. Not cool. And the funny thing is, when it comes to music, is that as music fans, we spend so much time trying to get other people to acknowledge it. I call it the diamond in the pocket the, uh, theory. We have found a diamond. We know it's a diamond. I'm talking about a band like ACDC when it first came out. I, I, it was a diamond, but nobody was into ACDC. Well, what do we do? We tell everybody who will listen, you got to hear this band. You got to hear this band. We, we write their name on our books. We write, we wear their patch on our jacket. We adore this band. We champion this band. We shout the praises of this band. And then Back in Black came out. And just went, the country world went crazy. And what did so many original ACDC fans do? Abandon them. We had worked so hard, but now the diamond was no longer in our pocket. It was on display and the world was lining up to see it. And we had to wait online with the rest of them just to see the diamond that we once owned. It was our diamond. And we feel we've lost something. We feel something was taken away from us. Is that fair? The band didn't change at all. Stay Hungry as an album didn't change at all. So is it right for us to be affected by popularity or lack of? The fact of the matter is we are less likely to think independently and want something when we know others that, when we, that others don't like it. Meaning it's, we're, not, we're not so quick to champion uh, a piece of art or a product or a designer or a politician or anybody when nobody else likes them. We like to jump on the bandwagon. Most people want to know they're not alone out there. They want, they want to be part of the group. They want to be part of the crowd. They're, they're afraid that somebody might mock their independent thinking and their free thinking about a product or something. I'm not saying everybody. But many people, there's a herd mentality. It's okay to like something that's different if others are liking it. You can't be mocked or ridiculed or put down or told you're wrong. It takes a free thinker to, to embrace something that others are not embracing. But people, don't reject it. When other people finally start to catch on to how great this thing is. And don't be afraid to step forward and say yes to something. Or you'll like something without others in the workplace approving it. It's not just about art. We live in a world where people are afraid to say yes. Afraid to take responsibility. Afraid to take a stance. 
until others do too. They want to protect their job. They want to protect themselves, insulate themselves. Everybody, rejection is so commonplace in the business world. Everybody's very quick to say no. So few are willing to say yes unless others in the workplace are doing so as well. And then they'll try and jump on the bandwagon and take credit for something. It is the free thinkers of the world that are changed, that will change the world. And this is a real problem with our society. It's that, that herd mentality, mob thinking. Don't be afraid of free thinking. Don't be afraid of being judged. Who cares? Look at the people that you fear judgment by. If they were artists, look beyond their art and see the people they are and decide if you really need their approval to stand up for something that you believe in, to speak out on something you believe in, to embrace something you believe in. Don't have a fear of being held accountable. And I always say this to people, by the way. First sign of leadership is taking responsibility. As long as you're like pointing fingers going, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, you were not the leader. When you say, yeah, that was me, even if it's because a negative is going to come down on you, it says you were in charge, it was your decision, and that you were accountable but that you are a person that does take responsibility for their actions, positive or negative. Be that person. We need to speak our minds, trust our instincts, state our opinions, no matter what the ramifications might be. And again, you, you, uh, if you stand by your opinions... You will be viewed as an individual. This is not a bad thing. You will be viewed as an independent thinker and thusly a leader. There are no leaders who are part of the herd. None. Every leader has been an individual. They have been a free thinker. They have have an independent thinker. That's what makes a leader. That's what defines a leader. So don't, don't follow the crowd all the time. Taking responsibility Stepping forward, speaking your mind, this will separate you from the pack, and it will take, I promise it will take you to new levels of success. And I don't know how I got from, point, from talking about art affecting our opinion, artists affecting our opinion of the art, and I got here, but this is a train of thought, because I think they're connected. Independent thought. Okay? And, and, I, you know, and again, I speak from experience. I tried to fit in with the crowd and be a follower. I tried and tried and tried, rejected by every group, every group. Thank God no one accepted me into, into that group. That forced me to go it alone, forced me to choose greatness, to be an individual, and to make something myself. I tried, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of an odd, the reason I, 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 I seem to connect with people is that I'm a little mixture of a, little, a lot of different things. A little bit of a dirtbag, a little bit of an intellectual, a little bit of an artist, a little bit of a, you know, I'm a little, I'm mixer, but I'm no one thing, which is why I never could fit in with any one click because I didn't think, you know, I was good in sports, but I didn't think the world was shaped like a football. I, you know, I like cars and motorcycles, and, but I didn't think that, that knocking books out of kids' hands and beating people up for no reason was a way of life. So I didn't fit in with the dirtbags in my school. I'm smart, but I'm not that smart, so I didn't fit in with the intellectuals. 
I'm a musician, uh, you know, and I'm artsy, but I didn't get high, so I didn't fit too, win too well with the freaks. So, you know, I basically, because I didn't fit in with anybody, I was forced to be my own, my own clique, which is kind of a bummer, actually. But it really, that drove me forward. So look, I started at one point, I ended with another. I've been rambling on. I hope there's something in here that you're you're getting out of this. But to end on this motivational thing, and I, I want to share this so often, excel, lead, be fearless, take chances, believe in yourself, trust your instincts, dare to be different. It's okay. And I promise one thing, I promise you will love it. You will love it. And that's the end of today's sermon. See you next week. Stay tuned for the latest AP News headlines from Podcast One right after this. When shopping for car insurance, consider this. GEICO has been saving people money on car insurance for over 75 years. So if you're serious about savings, it's simple. Go to GEICO.com. After 75 years, they know how to save you money. AP Update. I'm Sandy Kozell. Polls are opening across New Hampshire for the nation's first presidential primary. And that means it's time for Granite State undecided voters to make a choice, as we hear from the AP's Jerry Bodlander. Voters here in New Hampshire are known for waiting until the last minute before deciding who they're pulling the lever for or changing their minds about who they're supporting. Gloria Fields is choosing between Donald Trump and Jeb Bush. Trump because of his business ability. Bush because of what he has done in Florida. Fields says she may not decide who she's supporting until she's in the voting booth. All this uncertainty makes polling more difficult. And on top of that, independent voters can vote in either the Republican or Democratic primary. Jerry Bodlander, Manchester, New Hampshire. Polls show Clinton trailing Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. She started her day at 7 a.m. at a Manchester polling location. AP Update. I'm Sandy Kozell.